Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirt Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode 11 of the Grip City Golf Podcast, the two week hiatus after the live. We are back, baby. Andy Dirt Johnson, Eric Peterson. What's going on, EP? What's up, man? We're, yeah, it's been two weeks. So it's, I feel like an LIV tour player where I'm working less on the podcast and well, they're making more money. We're not making any more money because we're making zero dollars, but. Yeah, time flies, dude. And like we're in the throes of golf season now. There's major championships happening and we're outside playing golf because summer's finally here. So it's like it's crazy how we get done with one podcast and then time kind of slips away from us. So and everything it, changes, you know. It's like now we're playing in 97 degree heat. Did you get get to golf any of this hot weather the last couple of days? I played last week in a member guest tournament, which some of our listeners have probably played in member guest tournaments. Those are part competitive serious golf tournament and part boondoggle i mean it's a matter of finding that (laughs) sweet spot between the two have you played in a member guest tournament before i have never been invited and i actually was bummed because at persimmon this summer i that was the first thing i asked was when's the member guest tournament because i want to play in it and i have a conflict so i can't the dates unfortunately don't work but if i'm still there next year i've already made the mental note on year two of the grip city golf podcast we're going to need to play uh, an Eric Peterson, Andy Dirt Johnson member guest team and then record a live podcast like after oh, every day of action and break down how bad we played and how far <laughs> down the standings we are. <laughs> so where was your member guest? Where did you go play? It was down in Medford. One of my really good buddies from college is a member at Rogue Valley Country Club. I don't know if any of our listeners have played much golf down in the southern part of the state. I know you're a big fan of the, the course in Klamath. Yeah, running wide. Running, running wide is one of my Sorry. favorites. Yeah. And so, I mean, Southern Oregon, like you're reminded as you're driving down there, how big the state of Oregon is. It takes a legit four plus hours to get down to Medford and or certainly Klamath falls even farther, but it was so fun, man. Like I said, those, those things are part golf tournament serious. You want to play well, but then there's a great mix of just fun and camaraderie. And my partner, my, my good buddy is, uh, it was fun to see him and to play with him and you just bump into to, to people. And especially if you play in one multiple times, which I played in this one multiple times, you start to make friends and it's just a really fun deal. So I am definitely a big fan of member guest tournaments. Now, was there a horse race at the end? How far did you guys make it? <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up. So yeah, yes, there was a horse race and we've actually won it twice before. And those things are hard to win. If, Humble if you've brag, ever, man. Yeah. If you've ever played in one, they're hard to win because you get, and the, maybe the format's a little different with some people, but or at some clubs, but with this one, our, our team, our twosome gets paired up with another twosome in the tournament. And so you don't know who's going to be on your team. So that's the first kind of just blind dry. You never know what you're going to get. The second is, is that you just don't know how you or your partners are going to respond to the format, which in our case was, is alternate shot, which we've, we've talked about alternate shot before. It's like the ultimate test of friendship. And so we got bounced on the first hole. So it was a bummer, but you know, you can still follow around and ride in a cart and there's a beer wagon that follows everybody. And, and it's just a total party, even as a spectator. So even though we got bounced, it was fun to, to be a part of for sure. Alternate shots already hard enough to begin with. And then you add a four man alternate shot. So if it's a par four, it's, I mean, everybody's got to pull their end of the rope. It's one thing. If there's two of you and one's a little bit better than the other, at least you're hitting every other shot. So you can kind of make up for the weaknesses four man alternate shot here. I mean, that is brutal as you could get. It's crazy, man. And it's hard to get in a rhythm. You're playing with people you, you maybe don't even really know. So you don't even really know what to expect. It's, it's really hard. And then add to that. Also, there's a lot of people watching and none of us have any experience playing in front of people. (laughs) right? Right. And so, especially if you get down to the end, everyone is there. So we're talking like 50, 60 carts, like circled around a green watching you putt a six footer. And this time, obviously it wasn't me, but I'm sitting there looking around and like, everyone's having some drinks, having a good time. And we're watching this potentially like 
18, 19 handicapper standing over a six footer. And you're just like, Oh my God, I, I just, I can't watch this. This is too hard because there's so much pressure and none of us have any experience in that. So it just makes it all the, all the more challenging. If, if we feel pressure having to like play through a group, or if you hit a tee shot on the hole adjacent to you, you have to go over there and every, you know, for, a foursome is watching you. If that's pressure, everybody's standing around the green and you know, immediately if that putt drops, everybody's going crazy. And if you miss it, you're going to hear moans and groans from dozens and dozens of people. That's well, a lot of pressure, man. And and you and I have talked about throwing a dollar down at the 19th hole at Eastmoreland to see if so-and-so is going to hit the fairway or not. But with a horse race, you can bet on which team you think is going to win. Right. And we're not talking about dollars on the table. Like there's yeah. like real money on the line. And so you mentioned the moans and groans of, from the, the gallery. It's, it's ratcheted up all the more when there's like real scratch involved. Yeah. I just lost 500 bucks. Cause you missed that putt, man. What the hell was that dude? Incredible. I needed you there. So, well, it's good to have you back. And uh, yeah, we had listeners asking, we, we were trying to do a listener round last week and that was the game plan. And I, I texted you to set it up and you said, I, I totally forgot. I have to go play in a member guest. So blame Eric and being a hoity toity country clubber like me last week. And uh, that was the reason. So I promised the listeners who were asking the listener round will come, we'll set it up. We'll set on, we'll send out the tweet. We'll get out and play with you guys. We promise. Before we get too far down the road, we got a special guest coming up in a moment. I want to get back to two weeks ago. I mean, we got to talk about the Open Championship, everything else that's going on right now in the world of golf. But you and I, the last episode we did two weeks ago, live out at Pumpkin Ridge for the LIV, and it was kind of a shorter episode. We talked in our uh, library voices, uh, being really quiet. I'm, you know, now that it's come and gone, I, I think my mindset is I'm not going to pay much attention to live anymore, but let's put a bow on it and just kind of your feelings. It came and went. How do you think it went? And how do you think golf fans viewed it here in the area? I honestly don't know what to feel. I, I'm not mad about it. I'm not, I'm not really of the mindset of this thing is horrible and it never should have happened. I, like I said before, I'm a fan of sports in Portland and I'm a fan of golf in Portland. And so from a spectator standpoint, I was interested in the tournament just to see what it was going to be like, but I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't really follow it after we were there. I heard that Brandon Grace won, but I didn't really know much about like how it all went down. I know he shot a good score at the end uh, or on the final day to kind of come from behind and win. I did notice, by the way, that he finished at 13 under and you and I guessed what the, the final score would be. And I guessed 12 and you did you say 15? I think I said 15. Yes. Yeah. We, we almost so, split the difference there. So you owe me a driver on 10 at East Moreland <laughs> next time we play. That's right. That was which, the bet. <laughs> which will be recorded on video and posted to Twitter. So just so everybody knows that. Love it. I'm with you. I'm not really going to follow the next one. I think the next one is out in Boston, if I'm not mistaken, and coming up at the end of the month. And I'm probably not going to follow it. And it's not because I have some disdain for the parts of it that people don't like, but it's more so just, it's not that interesting to me from a competitive, like a, a, a professional golf tournament standpoint. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. And I'll be curious to see if it does catch on at all ratings wise. That was the one thing I didn't even look at from Portland was how many people were watching it. Cause I know the numbers on YouTube for the first tournament were horrible. I mean, it was like 40, 50,000 people that were streaming that. So those numbers are really bad. I don't know what they were for Portland. Everybody that I talked to, and I think you and I shared this sentiment being out there on Thursday, and we tried to highlight it on the podcast for fans that attended the event. It was a home run. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better. The crowds weren't that big. You had great access to players, whichever guys you wanted to follow and watch. You could get up close to them. You were going to be feet away from them. And there wasn't, you know, 10, 15 deep at the ropes. They clearly rolled out the red carpet financially for not only the players and the caddies, which is obvious. But for the fans as well, I mean, there was great catering options without any long lines, beer gardens without any long lines. So, I mean, in those regards, they, they went all in. And I would say from a fan experience standpoint, everybody that I talked to said it was they hit it out of the ballpark. And I agreed. I mean, just being there, you and I were just kind of in awe as we highlighted on the last episode of like, this is wild. There's like <laughs> it feels like there's 2000 people here and here's Phil and Brooks and DJ and Bryson and all these guys are coming through. It was nuts to have those golfers in our area with not that many people actually there to watch. And so if you missed the last episode, we mentioned that we had heard the scuttlebutt out there that they signed a three-year deal with Pumpkin Ridge. And so it's coming back. And that would be my only thing. I don't think the league is ever going to catch on as a viable threat to the PGA Tour when it comes to interest, um, talking points, once all the drama and the controversy settles down 
and ratings. But when it comes to going to specific markets and being a good draw for golf fans, I think they're always going to have a niche there because I'll tell you what, if, if it does come back next year and that holds true, you bet your ass I'm going to be out there, man. It was incredible access and I'd love to go back again. Yeah. And the weather was great too, right? Yeah. I mean, look at how horrible the weather was in Portland this spring and it like kind of popped in perfect time for not only the weather to be great when the tournament was happening, but also kind of leading up to the event. So the course was in really good shape. I mean, it, it sounded, or it felt like it was like in tournament condition, there was nothing about the course that didn't seem like it was ready. The other thing that, you know, you want to talk about the infrastructure and like that, what was that like fan fan zone thing they had in the parking lot? It goes, remember the music stage they had left of the driving range and how just abstract that was and how, like it looked like a like a legitimate rock concert stage setup with the lighting and the sound equipment and so, i mean we weren't there for the actual concert but i was just looking at the stage thinking like that thing looks expensive and you know you and i were just making comments about that robot riding around with the drinks in the media center and the quality of the bathrooms <laughs> everything about it was just like us open type setups. When you just think about the little details, the little nuanced items that go into a PGA tour event or a USGA uh, major championship, this event was above and beyond that. So they are just going over the top with setting it up so that it's nice. And, you know, you talk about how many people watched it and you try to do the math in your head of how much money they're making from this. And it's like, <laughs> they're, they have to be bleeding so much cash, dude. I don't have, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, they, there's rumors and estimates that they've dumped $2 billion into it to get it off the ground. I mean, you think about the amount of golfers that already have six figure deals just to begin with. And then all the stuff that they're paying for tournaments and broadcasters and or chauffeuring the players around in limousines and, you know, putting them up in suites at hotels and what they're spending on caddies. I mean, they're not making any, they are probably 20 years away from even turning a profit. You would, you would have to imagine. And that's not even their goal. And that's the weird thing about, will it make it or will they continue to dump money in? Because if you get five years down the road and you're $6 billion in the hole and you're not making any money, are you going to keep going? Like, does it go to 10 billion? Like how much are you willing to spend in order to, kind of cut through and, and do the sports washing that people are talking about. And maybe there is no limit because it is Saudi Arabia and they have an unlimited amount of money, but I'm with you. I, I think that was the, the, the standout was they want their niche to be a first class event and experience to go to totally. like that, that concert venue you're talking about. I mean, it looked like Metallica was going to perform there. Mm-hmm. It was so big. It was nuts, man. So, I mean, that is their angle, I think, in trying to capture the golf fan. And maybe there's some people that went out this weekend fell in love with it, thought it was cool. And they ended up watching it and they'll watch it in the future. I'm not that way. Cause it's not real golf to me. It's a hit and giggle kind of scramble format is what it feels like, but they're putting every penny they possibly can into it. We'll see if it works, but there's also a part of me too. I don't know about you that I'm a little relieved that it's kind of come and gone. Like it, it yeah. sucked all the air out of the golf conversation for so long. And, and we'll get to the open championship later on in the episode to preview it. But part of me is a little frustrated this week too, with some of the stuff I've seen, like the RNA director came out and talked about live tiger shared his thoughts and i get it it's guys getting asked questions and they're answering them and they're getting clicks and i'm i'm clicking on those articles so i'm guilty of it as well but like 150th uso or excuse me open championship at st andrews it's such a historic thing and it feels like it's still sucking some of the air out of the golf world so part of me now that it's gone from portland i'm kind of like ah, all right we can get back to normal and play in our east moreland and our heron lakes and our stone creek and stop debating and screaming at each other about Saudi investment funds and oil money. <laughs> I think that Tiger needed to come out and make a statement about it. But th- th- I think that was his first kind of press conference mm-hmm. environment since the, the first tournament had begun. So that was kind of natural. And then also obviously being the open championship, you're going to get a statement from the commissioner. And I thought his comments were profound and that guy carries a lot of weight he draws a lot of water in this town, as they say. And Mm -hmm. so I think that what he had to say was really interesting. And in the LIV's quest to get official world golf rankings recognition, I thought that Martin Slumber, I think is the commissioner's name of the RNA. I mean, I, he didn't specifically mention it, but I mean, he's on the board for the world golf rankings. So is Mike Wan with the USGA. So is Jay Monahan with the PGA tour. 
those are three guys right there that have voting power to, and a decision maker for whether or not they're going to get points. All three of those guys seem like those are going to be pretty much hard no's. And I, like I've said in a pod before, I think that the official world golf rankings points question is a linchpin to the longevity of this tour. No matter how much money they have, if guys can't earn world rankings points playing on this tour, most of the players, you know, Phil and Dustin Johnson and these major champions, they'll be able to stay in um, because they'll be able to just get into some of the majors because they're exempt for life because they've won the tournaments that were the, those major championships. But most of the players haven't. And so they need the, those world rankings points to play in tournaments. And if they're not getting them on the LIV tour and they're banned from the other tours, how are they going to get points? And so that's going to be a huge, I think, decision for them to make about, all right, well, the money is great, but if I can't play in the, in the tournaments that really matter, I don't know if this is the thing for me. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm with you. I think that I'm glad it's over. I feel relieved and I'm just interested to see what the rest of the summer looks like for the tour. Do the ratings go up? Do they go down? I think Tiger's gotten his like statement out of the way. We probably won't be asked about it Mm -hmm. much anymore. I kind of just feel like by the time we get to the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth event of this season, I just wonder, like, is it even going to be a story at all? I think it remains to be seen, but it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, the golf ranking point list. I mean, that's the next big domino to fall. And as you point out, the RNA, the head of the RNA mentioned that, I mean, they have no problem forcing guys to go through the qualifying process. I mean, they believe in qualifying. And but if you're not earning official golf world ranking points, then you got to do it the old school way. And Tiger touched on that in his comments as well. How much money is it worth to miss out on? major championships if you're not going to be able to qualify. And that was his point for some of the younger golfers of you got to weigh those two things. And is one really worth the other? So uh, there you go. There's our wrap up. There's our, let's put a bow on the LIV. We're all done with it for the rest of the summer. We'll maybe mention it here or there. If another big name joins the tour or if the ratings take a big jump, that kind of stuff, but it is come and gone from Portland and uh, brace yourself because it's probably coming back again next year. A couple of things coming up later in the podcast. I threw out a tweet and I, we got some great interaction on it. You're the coolest Portland golf feat that you've accomplished. So we'll get to that coming up in a bit. Read some thoughts, listener questions, and an open preview. All right. Well, we're really excited for our guests on this episode. We're a couple of Cleveland grads as we've uh, made, well, made well known over the uh, first 10 episodes of this podcast. And we, we, got, we're, we got a proud warrior out there. Kyra Lee, she just won the state championship, absolutely dominated everybody. It was like Tiger at Pebble Beach in 2000, running away from the field. She grew up playing at Eastmoreland. And she's attending Oregon State University. So we're excited for this one, not only because we're Cleveland grads, but she's a great local golf story. And uh, we're rooting her on as her career continues to progress. So excited to bring on Kyra uh, and and get to talk to her. Well, first off, Kyra, thanks so much for the time. We're excited about this one as a couple of uh, three Cleveland grads now because you just graduated from Cleveland. So congratulations on that. I want to start with just kind of your you're beginning in the golf world. Like how did this start? Who got you into the game of golf? What age did you start playing? How did you start picking up clubs at a young age? Yeah. So before I did golf, I did three years of figure skating, but I wasn't very good at that. So my parents were like, yeah, maybe this isn't the right route. And they put me into golf when I was about (laughs) 11 or 12. Uh, Yeah, probably 11. And then I started doing tournaments at 12. So I started at Eastmoreland in the PGA Junior League. I did that for about a year. And then I started like the real OGA tournaments where you kind of compute for yourself. And that's kind of how I got started. In it. So, so you went from, you just picked up a club when you were 11 to playing in junior league when you were 12 to playing in OGA tournaments when, when you were 13. So it all happened really quickly. Was there a, a point at which you realized, wow, the, I'm pretty good at this golf thing. <laughs> Um, I never really thought that I just kind of kept playing. And then when I started playing better, I was like, Oh, I, I do like this. Like, I kind of want to keep going. So. (laughs) I mean, I'd say so. Yeah. You're playing well that quickly. You're like, all right, I I think I can kind of get into this now. Now, Eric and I both grew up playing on Eastmoreland as well. What what are the the things about Eastmoreland that you think are are great for refining your golf game? Because I know there's a few that stand out in my mind that I still struggle with, but what do you, was there something special you think about growing up on East Moreland that helped mold you into the golfer that you are today? Um, yeah, probably like the tight fairways and having to hit good shots because being in the trees is no fun. But it did help <laughs> my my punch outs very 
very much. <laughs> it is true. You play around at Eastmoreland. You, you, you know quickly how to hit like a little low punch five iron to get it out. And I feel like everybody I know that grew up on Eastmoreland is a great iron player too. Is that, is that a strength of your game or are you a driver, a, a better putter, short game? Is it the iron play? What's the strength? Irons and irons and driver are probably the strongest parts of my game. How far do you hit it off the tee, Kyra? Um, I think probably I average around 250, 260. Wow. That's pretty good. That, what's, what, what's your average, Dirk? I mean, it's not much more than that. That's for sure. Unless I'm playing at the St. Andrews this week and getting 100 yeah. yards a roll. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not beating that by too much, man. So I, I do have to ask. So I got my, my handicap. I'm psyched. I got down below a nine for the first time in a long time. And I'm very happy about this. If my research is correct, I have you as a, as a plus 5.3 handicap. Is this correct? Yes. I mean, how did, how, how, I don't even know, like, I feel like that would, that would like break the system. I've never heard of that before. I've read articles on the PGA tour where it's, where it like guesses what their index would be. And tiger's like a plus seven, like in his heyday, but I've never heard of an actual real person and their handicap is plus 5.3. <laughs> how did it get that low? I, I have no idea. Honestly, I checked it and I was like, Whoa, that that's a little low. <laughs> Um, so dirt. So if you're a nine and she's a plus five, she's given you 14 shots, 14 strokes. Yeah. That's a, I mean, is that, do you go playing like uh friendly scrambles or anything and ever get frustrated that you have to essentially like Eagle a hole in order to beat somebody in a, in a match play situation? Well, I don't know. I, I don't play those a lot. Yeah. But it does get a little stressful if it does happen. <laughs> I can see that. So let, let's get to the state championship. I mean, the, the way you played, setting the, the state, you know, breaking the state scoring record, did everything just kind of align for you at that tournament? Was it just a course that saw, you know, that fit your eye? What, what went into that for you? Because that's pretty incredible. And I have to imagine a pretty cool accomplishment for yourself. Yeah. So going into that week, I was very stressed out because my driver wasn't working and that was a super tight course. And Nothing was really working the week before, but once I had a few lessons and then I went to play the practice round for state, I was like, okay, I think I can probably shoot a few good numbers here. And when I went out there, it was just fairways, greens, and then putts, and it was really good. <laughs> who, who is your instructor, Kyra? His name is Myrig Morgan. Uh, you can look him up on Instagram. His handle is dragongolf123, and he works at Trails End. He used to work at the Lake Oswego Muni course. God, have you been working with him for a long time or have you kind of had different coaches throughout your, your life? Yeah. He's my first coach. Oh, wow. So that, throughout that's her kinda... golfing life. She's, I know, she's I know. 17 years old. <laughs> it's only been like six years. I know. I didn't know if you I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like she's done so much. It's like, surely she's been in the game for right. 20 years. Like, she's been on the LPGA tour for yeah. 15 years. I mean, what are we talking about? So, so Kyra Emerald Valley is where the, the state tournament was. What was it about that golf course that was challenging? And what was it about that golf course that, that actually fit your eye and, and kind of came natural to you? So they played the course very short and because I'm a long hitter, I think I had the advantage of going and I hit my ball. High, so I'm able to go over trees if I need to, and then take really aggressive lines. I think if we played a little longer, I'd, I'd have different strategies, but the way that they put the course out there, I was able to take advantage as much as I could. They didn't realize who they were dealing with when they were setting up the course, I think is what it came down to. <laughs> This so you shoot, so, so you shoot 65 on the first day, which was your lowest round of your life, right? What are you thinking after that day? It was crazy. I mean, I knew I played well, but I don't ever really count my score before I finish. So I didn't really know. All I wanted to do the next day was just shoot something just as good. Well, when you're making like six or seven birdies in a round, it's harder <laughs> to keep track. You know, it's like, wait, am I four under, am I five under, am I six under? So then after, so you shoot 65 on the first day. And then you go and back that up with another 65 the next day where, when you were coming down the last couple holes, did you know that the tournament was in hand or were you just in the zone, just trying to play well? And then we'll, we'll add them up at the end. Yeah. I think I was probably more in the zone. I wasn't really thinking about it. I mean, i never really thought about what place I would be in. I just really wanted to score well, like shoot the best that I could. And so you ended up winning by 11 shots, I think, right? Something like that. 
Did you feel like Tiger Woods in 2000 at Pebble? Like, I mean, that, that's pretty dominating. <laughs> that's so cool. So, so then I'd love for you to just share with us how, how you ended up at Oregon state and just what that recruitment process was like, what, what you loved about Oregon state and, and what you're looking forward to as you jump into that program. So the recruiting process was very stressful for me. Um, I didn't really have very many options going in and I, I knew I wanted to be part of the PAC 12 or at least a bigger league, but there were really not like coming down to the end of recruitment I still didn't have very many options. Like nobody really knew who I was, even though I was playing bigger tournaments. And so um, Oregon why, State- why, why do you think that is, Kara? I mean, cause you're playing so well and you're like, you've accomplished so much so fast. Would, do you think there was a reason why you weren't getting noticed the way you thought you should? I'm not sure. Um, I didn't play very well last season and that could have been a factor, but I, I wasn't ranked super low and I'm not quite sure why I wasn't noticed, but Oregon state did show a lot of interest right from the start. And they seemed like a really good choice. And I really liked the coaches there. And when I went to the, my official visit, everyone was just so nice. And I knew it probably could have been a great fit for me. Yeah. It sounds like it. Did anybody come, try and come on strong after the, uh, the way you finished this season and anybody try and swoop in and, and steal you away? I imagine a few more eyeballs were on you at, at the latter part of this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, sometimes my coach still gets emails from coaches, like college coaches asking if I'm taken and <laughs> my coach is like, that's, that's a little, you're a little late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're only, a, you're only a couple of years and a couple of months late. Maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> next time jump on the recruiting trail a little quicker. So I, I, I do want to ask you about Eastmoreland growing up on that course. Cause I think everybody who's played that course has it in their mind. What's your favorite hole and your least favorite hole out there? Hmm. I like the, what hole is it? The downhill par three on the front nine. Okay. Number five. Number five. Yeah. Number five, yeah. Um, my least favorite hole I don't know if I have one. I mean, hole number one's like fine, but the green, I'm always chipping onto that green and it's always like rolling off the back. <laughs> it's hard it's to hold tricky, that green. It's tricky. Yeah, it all slopes down left to right. So if you got if you don't hit it in the right spot, you're in you're in a world of hurt. You're in some trouble there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you outside of East Moreland, let me ask you this one, similar line of question. What's your other favorite Portland area course you like to play? Um, so we we kind of bounce around three courses. We play Langdon Farms a lot, OGA, and Stone Creek. So I like all of them about the same. We play OGA the most just because they have more tournaments there. Mm. But yeah, I like them all about the same. So when are you when are you heading down to Corvallis? I mean, you graduated. You got the the summer after high school. When is the the locomotion heading down to heading down I five? I think I so I have this thing where all the student athletes have to go about for three weeks to kind of get used to being a student athlete. And um, that starts in August, like August 9th or so. And then I think I moved down probably two weeks before classes start. Okay. Okay. Do you have any other tournaments you're playing this summer? Anything else going on golf wise in the area? Or are you just getting ready for college? So I have the U S girls next week. That I'm going to in Kentucky. And then after that, I, I am going to be representing team Oregon at the, junior girls america's cup that'll be really fun i really like that tournament and then i have one in august that's at emerald valley it's the oregon women's stroke play and then there's the like the portland amateur qualifier for the uh, lpga tournament in portland oh wow that's cool now are we going to see you out at uh, east moreland on august 6th dominating the cleveland alumni tournament again <laughs> i'll be there <laughs> are you playing in it kyra yeah, I, I think I'm going to be able to play, I think probably with some of my teammates from last year. Yeah, we'll probably be playing. Okay, well, if, you, if you're just flying solo that day, I think my team currently only has three members. So if I'm just saying, <laughs> if you, if you we, one more, I'm just saying we could use a stick like that. It, it would help our cause this year. But if you got a team, it's okay. I, I fully understand. So that's cool. So you got tournaments going on all summer. You're heading down to college. What an exciting time. And Kyra, first off, thanks for the time on the podcast. This was fun for us, I think, as a couple of Cleveland guys to get to talk to you, and it's been fun to follow your high school career. And congratulations on all the success, and, and best of luck at, at Oregon State. Even though we're ducks, it's okay. 
the Cleveland bond still holds strong. Oh, we're going to be rooting for <laughs> absolutely. you. Absolutely. Best, best of luck in Corvallis. We can't wait to follow your career. And thanks for hopping on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, plus uh, 5.3 uh, EP. I, I think I need a few better scores to go from my uh, 8.4 to a plus 5.3. What do you think? That, I mean, that is crazy, dude. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a handicap that low. Have you? No, it's not. You texted me that was her handicap. And I just thought, wait, I didn't even know it's pot. How do you, yeah. what? How does that even happen? Well, I mean, when you post two 65s in a row to win the state title, that's going to bring your handicap down pretty quickly. But just, I mean, the way the handicap system is set up, I know we all, we all talk about, oh, geez, one decent score just makes me, makes my handicap go way down. Right. Yeah. And I'm not that good. But in order to get that low, you got to like consistently, post scores at or below par and that that's pretty remarkable i want to play golf with her man she seems like such a talent i do too i remember uh seeing her last year at the cleveland alumni tournament she was playing a couple of groups ahead and i i knew there was this great golfer at cleveland and she was out there and somebody in my group mentioned oh she you know she's over there and i saw her hit a tee shot and i thought yep (laughs) that's a pretty good golfer right there she it was on the par five what is it the the one after the hole she talked about six the the dog leg right par five yeah and we were on the four tee box and she just hammered a drive around the corner and uh yeah it was an eye-opener that i think cleveland's got themselves a, a special golfer it is funny how quickly your handicap can go down also the difference between my opinion on a handicap and hers is that the first thing that I think of with my handicap is how does it fit in tournaments? You know, if I'm going to a, you know, a best ball or whatever, an alternate shot, a member guess, where's my number at and can I compete at my number? And she's like, I mean, yeah, 5.3, I guess that's fine. It doesn't, doesn't play into my tournaments though. She doesn't care. Well, and she didn't even tell us what her handicap was. The only reason we knew is because I just looked it up. So it's like, she's super humble about it. (laughs) Yeah, God. not even bragging. So pretty cool stuff. Great get on that one. That was a lot of fun. And we're rooting her on at Oregon State. She's going to be a lot of fun to follow some tournaments going on this summer. But then obviously next year playing some Pac-12 and then maybe eventually Pac-10 golf, depending on what happens with our conference. But maybe that, SEC. We, maybe we never SEC. Know. Yeah. She's taking on <laughs> Ole Miss. You never know. So we'll uh, we'll follow that. Very cool stuff. So I want to pivot from that because talking about cool you know, local golf feats that you're proud of. I mean, she's got a long laundry list of things that she could run down there and things that she's done. But I, I, the reason I sent this out on Twitter at grip city golf, go give us a follow. And I'm going to read some of the listener responses was that buddy. I, I slayed my white whale of Portland golf last week and I can't even begin to tell you how psyched I am. So they're getting a lot of free pub on this episode. So if anybody over there is listening to this, uh, you know, give me some free range balls next time I'm there. I, I had not played Eastmoreland all summer. I haven't been out there. I'm a country club guy now. It's a bit of a longer drive for me. I used to live next to the course. And the Persimmon was closed this past weekend for the women's member guest tournament. So I'm like, ah, I want to get out this weekend. Where You know what? I haven't played Eastmoreland. So I set a tee time, went out and played on Friday. I can't even begin to count the number of rounds of golf I played at Eastmoreland in my life. And we used to party on the holes out there. I mean, it's, it's a long history at that golf course. There is one thing that I have never done. In my entire life. Wait, let me last... guess. Let me guess what it is. Is okay. it a single hole thing, or are we talking about an accomplishment? Overall, overall, eighteen hole accomplishment. You broke eighty. I broke eighty for the first time at Eastmoreland on Friday. Seventy nine. I drained a thirty foot birdie putt on seventeen, the little island green that got me to a, a breathable number, and I I limped in with a bogey on eighteen for a seventy nine. And I of the thousands of rounds I played in my life, I have had so many cracks at you know, being six or seven over with two or three holes to go. And, you know, I have fired off too many eighties to count, but that course, because of its tight fairways and needing to punch out and the emphasis on hitting the ball straight is always at one point or another screwed me out of breaking 80. And I broke it. You know, I'm not great. I'm a good golfer. I'm not great. I broken eight stone Creek Langdon OGA. Like you, you rattle them off. I've done it never in my life. East Moreland. And I did it last Friday and i I'll tell you what, that Fort George, that post-round Fort George, <laughs> oh boy, was that a sweet taste of Fort good George. Good for man. you, man. And did you beat your your opponents or did you guys have a game going? We didn't have a game going. I played with my dad and my brother-in-law. And okay. so it was, you know, we were just out there having fun. It was one of those good vibe rounds where the sun was out, a couple of beers were flowing. And next thing you know, you look up and you're like, hey, I eagled 11. And that's when it was like, wait a minute. You eagled 11? I what'd eagled you, What'd you do there? 
little three, three wood around the corner. And then I was about 200 out, give or take and stuffed a five iron to 10 feet and drained the putt. Love it. And that's when the, that's when the light bulb went off of like, Hey, wait a minute here. I, uh, I, I got, I got a chance at this thing, man. I might be able to do this. Just hold it together as long as you can. And I did. So I, that is e- the reason I asked that question of listeners and I want to get your answer, but that one, because of all the struggles I've had at Eastmoreland over the years, that's one of my proudest uh, Portland area golf feats. So if I throw that at you, what's, what's the answer that comes to mind for you? So funny, it's same golf course, but slightly different outcome. Um, I, well, it's, it's actually funny. And you and I have not rehearsed this, by the way, people listening. No, my, my biggest accomplishment in golf was shooting 79 at East Moreland in a one club tournament. I did it with my four iron there. And um, <laughs> so as I'm saying that, I don't mean to like squash <laughs> what you just said, but I don't know how else to answer it. I mean, I knew we were going to talk about that's an question, incredible feat. Look, you're a better golf. Your answer. Hey, I can live with it. You're a better <laughs> golfer than me. It's okay. You just one up the hell out of me with your four iron. Dude, that's, that's a miracle. Did you get in any bunkers? How the hell did you get out of a bunker with a four iron? I never hit it into a bunker. That's the key is I knew that if I did, I would be toast. So, um, that was a big part of my strategy and it's all just about kind of being, being conservative, being like staying in the moment, stay within the shot, but yeah, to answer your question. And honestly, I, it's funny that the coincidence of what we're talking about here, but that, that was it for me for sure. And just so you know, and just to kind of bring this back down a little bit, <laughs> the next round I played at Eastmoreland with all 14 clubs, I think I shot 84 or something like that. So isn't it funny how golf can work that way? Where it it's just kind of things line up, you you make a couple of awkward putts with a four iron, and then the next round you got every every club in your bag, and you're thinking, if I could shoot a 79 yeah. with a four iron, I'm gonna go shoot a 72 today. Like I'm yeah. breaking par. Let's it's go, easy. baby. And then, and then you get up. It doesn't happen, man. That's that is hilarious, though. That is awesome. I think if I went one club challenge, I think I would go seven iron. Some people do that. It's hard to putt with a seven iron. That's you gotta get, true. You got to get really good at blading it just with the leading edge of the club with a seven iron, which isn't easy to do. Whereas a four iron, you can just kind of play it off your back right heel and it, it it's almost like a putter loft to it. Right. So that was why I did four. And also if you get into par five, like it's hard to get home in three with a seven iron. Some people do choose a seven iron. One guy that played in that tournament used a hybrid, although I think he shot like a big number. So not sure how that strategy really worked, but to everyone kind of has their different, their different idea of what works. One club tournaments are pretty fun. You know, I we were talking about member fun. guests being a crazy experience or, or a horse race or alternate shot, but a one club tournament, I think is the ultimate test of golf in my opinion. Oh, for sure it is. Yeah, that's that's an absolute challenge right there. Well, we threw this out and I, I we got some great responses. So uh, Matt tweeted us and said he's a he's a two time member guest horse race champion. So talking about <laughs> horse races, you win one of those, dude. That's a, I mean, that's pressure. The people out there watching you like that's a cool. Th- everybody's hammered at the end of the day after a long day of golf like that. That's a pretty cool thing to be able to brag and win. Uh, let's see. Andrew tweeted us beating my dad in golf for the first time. I can never get over the hump, but once I did, I haven't looked back. It's the best feeling ever. I think everybody has that, right? Like when you got, you grow up golfing with a dad. If, if you have a dad that golfs, it's, you want to beat him. And once you finally do, usually that, that scale starts sliding in the other direction and he's getting worse and you're getting better, but nobody forgets the first time they take their dad down. Well, in a similar mindset, I would imagine to you, like when you got over the hump and beat East Moreland, so to speak, and, and broke the 80 barrier, you feel like you've like kind of crossed the threshold. Right. And so definitely makes you feel good. It does. I mean, you don't, you know, I love golf for being outside. I love golf for the camaraderie for seeing buddies, having a good time. But when you put a lot of time into it, you want to see results eventually, right? I mean, you want to see something translate and to start getting some scores and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's a rewarding feeling. And speaking of four irons, my somebody I had a buddy uh, Scott texted me when I told him I shot seventy nine. He said, "What was your secret? Four iron, baby." I left the driver in the bag. First time I'd ever. I used it twice. I used it on seven, and I had a perfect drive right down the middle. And I used it on actually three times: seven, nine, and then eighteen. Okay. Only three driver holes the entire day. Four iron, keep it in the fairway. Uh, let's see. We got a tweet that me and Andy Peterson. Hey, I never heard of him won the Daimler Portland truck plant golf league last year. I mean, Hey, that's something to be proud of. I would imagine. Right. That's a, that's a net tournament. It's not that <laughs> impressive. <laughs> I think anybody could probably win that thing. Uh, Michael tweeted us 74 at stone Creek this spring. That's pretty damn cool. 
let's see. Ted Ferguson said, proud to have witnessed the best club throw I've ever seen in my life. Red tail number seven. Brother Duff's his fourth shot from 180 yards out. Helicopters is five iron, and it wraps perfectly around the 150-yard stake. <laughs> oh, 30 man. yards away, snapping it into two. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen on a golf course. You that ever throw whole, a club? I mean, not, not like that. I, yeah. Nothing really comes to mind, but I don't really... Maybe it's because I don't care enough and it's actually hurting me, but I've never gotten mad to the point of throwing a club. I do really strongly dislike the seventh hole at red tail. So I can see how somebody would get really frustrated on that hole. Maybe not to the extent of wrapping a club around a 150 pole, but <laughs> uh, let's see. We got one Merritt Richardson said, seeing the high school team, I coach mountainside women take second place in six, eight this year, their feet, my pride. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of red tail, how about this? Found my ball 10 days later at Redtail, middle of the fairway. What are the chances of that happening? You go out and golf, lose a golf ball. 10 days later, you're back at the same course. There it is, middle of the fairway. What? How, <laughs> how did that happen? Are, is he sure that he didn't just like find his ball from another fairway earlier that round? Or somebody else grabbed that ball that day and then hit it and then lost it, maybe sprayed it back into that fairway and just left it and didn't go get it? I. I got questions there, man. I do. I get uh, golf balls that are personalized from Titleist because I'm a, a douchebag. But they, uh, there was somebody at Stone Creek one time. I thought I lost one on the 14th hole or maybe 13th hole, one of the downhill par fours, the one that goes down and up. And I, I, I was so bombed and pissed. And then later that day, I got a tweet from a listener of the radio show. It's like, hey, dirt, did you lose a ball at 14 at Stone Creek today? I was like, yeah, man. I thought that thing was out of bounds. Uh, let's see here. I got, uh, I think I just scrolled through all of them. So there you go. Thank you for sending us your, your Portland area golf feats. That's pretty cool. We had some fun with that. Uh, open championship, buddy. It tees off tonight. tonight. It's so weird. It's like, tonight. are you going to stay up? Are you going to watch at 10 o'clock tonight? What time does tiger tee off? That you is know? a good question. I don't know. I'll have to hold on. Let me, let me search that. But yeah, coverage. If, the best thing about the open championship too, is that they go off at 10 o'clock tonight. And then I think the last group goes off at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Like it's, yeah. it's like 10 straight hours of tea times. Yeah. I don't know if I'll stay up late tonight, but I'll be up early watching it for sure. I'm excited to, to see what that course plays like. I'm actually kind of worried to be honest with you, dirt. I feel like if the wind doesn't blow at St. Andrews, I've heard that the fairways are even firmer and faster than they have been in the past. I just worry that the winner is going to be 20 under par and it's just not going to be, it's, not, it's just, you're kind of going to feel like, Oh man, I like equipment's gone too far. And I've actually been on the side of the golf ball needs to be rolled back. The T height should be restricted or something with the driver head should be smaller. Something needs to be done to roll distances back and there's been a few tournaments here and there you know obviously number 13 at augusta has been a flashpoint for this argument that that hole doesn't play the way bobby jones designed it anymore and they need to make some changes but all we keep doing is moving the tees back and i don't i don't know that they have the real estate anymore at the old course to do much more of that and i've heard that the that equipment has advanced even just in the last five years since it was there last time that guys are going to be hitting at like 450 yards. And if granted you can get into the wind in which it's really challenging, but if there's not much wind, I just feel like guys are going to go super stupid, crazy low. And I just don't think that that's as cool as, especially the open championship, seeing guys playing conditions, grind it out with pars, maybe some bogeys that to me is more entertaining to watch. So I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. D does that actually take place or is it just kind of another kind of 14 under ish 12 under ish kind of wins yeah it, I, I saw a tweet today that said bryson dechambeau hit a six iron 305 yards off the 16th tee because it just i mean you're getting 75 yards a run and so you're just i mean you're flying the ball and it's going forever i'm with you i think that's one of the bigger things to keep an eye on this weekend is what is the final number end up being and to your point about scores you can only move so many tee boxes at places like a lot of these courses, you eventually just run out of real estate. Yeah. I can't move that any further back. I mean, we had that, um, was it at the PGA where they had to move tee boxes on the other side of greens where they didn't, you know, the last time a major was there was at Southern Hills, I think. And they had to just, they had to get creative with any kind of land that you have. 
but at places like St. Andrews where you're in, you know, you're along the coast and you're on the, you know, in this small little plot of land next to a town, essentially, like where, <laughs> where are you going to move on, on top of a roof? Like you got nowhere else to go. Yeah. Man, so well, in the line that guys are taking on 17 now, did you see some of the shots? And, I did see they, the, they've yeah. been doing that for years, but it just feels like every year it goes a little farther to the right. And now they're just hitting it so far right over all that stuff. It's like, this is not the way that this hole is supposed to be played. Come yeah. on, people. It's weird. I go back and forth on this because I, I feel like I don't like it when they're super low scores. And I would imagine a lot of people share that sentiment. But I also think that TV ratings are much more impacted by who's in contention and how close the final result is more so than what score they're at. So I kind of feel like I'm yelling at the clouds sometimes when I get frustrated about how low the scores are. But I, when I see the visual of or hear a little story like Bryson, who I I can't stand that guy, dude, <laughs> like I don't care that he can hit a six iron 305. I really don't. When I hear stuff like that or see videos of guys, the line they take on 17 over the hotel and it's just so far right. It is just kind of frustrating. And maybe I'm just old school and I'm a grandpa in that regard. But I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what people think about that, because I just don't think it's that it's that much fun when guys are doing that. Well, it's funny because this kind of was the philosophical debate in golf before LIV sucked the air out. I mean, this was it. We used to yell at each other over this golf ball, driver technology. When is enough enough? And you get a lot of the former guys like I think an interesting example of this is is Jack, who just became an honorary uh, like citizen of St. Andrews, like only the third of American to ever have that happen. I think it's. Who it was one former golfer? I can't remember which one. Bobby Jones probably, and I think Ben Franklin are like the only other two people who were honorary citizens of St. Andrews. But he was asked about that, and he's a guy who was complained constantly about the modern technology and how we need to roll things back. He was asked about the winning score, and his answer it shocked me. He said, "I don't care." He said, "It's just, whatever it is, it is. If somebody goes super low, they go low. It's still going to be entertaining. It's still St. Andrews." And he didn't seem to spend too much time thinking about it. I go back and forth on this. I tend to feel more like as long as it's as long as you give me a compelling final group, a compelling, you know, Sunday back nine home stretch where I got three or four guys that are names that I enjoy watching that have a chance to win. It doesn't matter to me if they're 24, 23, 22, 21 under or, you know, 12, 11, 10, 9, whatever the case may be. I can still find enjoyment of that. There does become a point where you feel like you're watching yourself as a 13-year-old play Tiger Woods video games on easy mode, and you're just birdieing every hole, and there's no challenge to it. The, the, the unique part about St. Andrews is the way they can bake out the entire course, and I wonder if, yes, you're going to hit the ball farther than you ever possibly have at an Open Championship there this weekend, but where's the detriment come in with your short game and how tough it is to land balls on the green, to avoid three putts. I mean, you can hit the green in your tee shot, but you could be 80 yards away because you got a two-tier double green. I, that to me is the, the, the fun, unique part about link style golf that I enjoy is watching people get you know, creative and thoughtful and using their head around the greens in the ways that they can kind of manipulate the golf course a little bit. If, if that doesn't end up being a challenge, then I think your fears will absolutely be realized. And we're going to have a winner this weekend. That's 20 something under par. Yeah. But if it's tiger woods, then we're going to think it's the greatest thing ever. So yeah. that's, that's the part of me where I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth and admittedly, right. I, like I understand that I, that I'm doing that, I guess when you get either a runaway and or Bryson winning and it's at 20 <laughs> under, it's like, get me out of here. I don't want to be involved in that. <laughs> but, Speaking, if it's, but if it's Tiger, then it's like, oh my God, this is the, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. If you get Tiger or Rory winning this weekend, I mean, I, everybody's going to leave with a smile on their face. The Bryson stuff is fat. I mean, that's a whole nother topic for another podcast we could get into of how that guy was going to dominate golf. And he was the new style and his swing speed and hitting the ball a mile. Like that was it. That was the change of golf. Like everybody was going to change the way they played. And that guy hadn't done squat in two years now, man. He hasn't, he hasn't sniffed the leaderboard. I don't even know if he's made a cut at a major this year. He's injured himself, man. Yeah, he, he just can't swing that hard. So uh, before we give our picks, let's, let's throw this out there because one of the things I love most about golf is the fact – it's kind of like baseball in this regard where everywhere you go, it's different. Every course you play is different. There's different styles, trees, no trees, links, whatever. 
there's some really good link style courses in the Portland area. Now, obviously not to the tradition of St. Andrews or not to the level of abandoned dunes. But when I throw that at you, best link style course, because you and I, I think both have a soft spot in our, in our hearts for link style golf, uh, which ones stand out the most to you? I mean, the, so by definition, a links course is sandy soil next to the ocean. Okay. Of which Portland has, has none of either. But when I think another characteristic of a links course is one without trees really, or, or not many. And so the courses that come to mind in Portland that don't have many trees, the first one that comes to mind is Heron Lakes, great blue, mm -hmm. which has hardly any trees. And that I think would be the funnest kind of linksy type of golf course in, in Portland. Obviously the turf conditions there are parkland style turf conditions and i'm getting pretty technical with some of this might be some people might not be interested but the bump and run shots that you'd hit abandon or at a links course where you're hitting seven iron from 80 yards and you're putting from off the green consistently you can't do any of that really at great blue but giving them the benefit of the doubt the wind can blow actually a little bit out there i don't know if you've ever played great blue like when the on a kind of a, a windier day and that's when kind of the feeling of linksy kind of gets ratcheted up a little bit. And I think it's pretty fun. So that would be my pick of like my favorite links course. I know the list of options is pretty short, but that's one of my favorite public courses in Portland anyways. And certainly as a, a linksy type of golf course, that would be my pick for sure. Yeah. You're not going to have the traditional kind of sand based thing in the area. I, I view more so with Portland links style golf, the, <clears throat> the way that it looks to my eye, is it, are there not a lot of Hills or, or not a lot of elevation changes, I, sh I should say, some kind of rolling hills, some tall grass. Like, that's what I kind of picture when I think. I think the reserve has some of that quality. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think Langdon Farms has some of those qualities yep. where it's a little flatter and you got some undulation in the fairway and that kind of stuff. But I'm with you 100%. Like, when you think of link-style courses and the way that they play, outside of the, the, the points that you were making about putting off the green, it's, it's great blue and it's Heron Lakes. Yeah. Now there's some great ones around the area. Like Teth, you go out to Tethro in central Oregon. I mean, dear God, putting on those made me never want to golf again. Obviously Chambers Bay up North and uh, abandoned dunes, as we've highlighted too many times to count on the podcast, how great those courses are, but there's a lot of great ones that kind of surround the area, but inside Portland, I think those are the three that I thought of reserve, Langdon Farms and then and then probably Great Blue taking the taking the cake there. Love things. all those, and I just love think that all three of those are just great golf courses on any day for any reason. And it's it's interesting that they're also the best kind of linksy type golf course. I think that shows you that people around Portland love the idea of a linksy type of golf course. Maybe it's because we like to spray it in the other fairway without having to <laughs> chip underneath trees like at East Moreland, right? <laughs> That's, and that, to me, though, that goes back to what I love so much about golf is that every course can play differently. I mean, at East Moreland, if you're not hitting the fairway, you're not going to you have no chance at scoring because sometimes yeah. you got to go out sideways and then you can get out to a place like Great Blue and I could blow a drive, th you know, 30 yards to the left into a different fairway and still have a chance to make par because there's nothing in my way to yeah. get back to where I need to go. So there's. That's, that's the cool and unique thing I love, and we got some great courses in the area. So if you're looking to play Lynx Golf this weekend in honor of the Open Championship, get out, and get out and play Great Blue, which I still haven't been out to Great Blue yet this year, so i got to go slay that demon at some point. And I I'm haven't been out there either. In fact, maybe our listener round, I wouldn't be opposed to going there instead of East Moreland, although I do want to see you hit driver on 10. So. <laughs> yeah, that does need to happen. That needs to happen. Uh, before we go, Hold on, I got to get to our listener questions, and this is uh, mainly a listener question because Taylor just dominates the dojo when it comes to this. So I'm going to rapid fire these at you. Okay, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, how does it feel to break 80? I should I should rephrase that for you. How does it feel to break 80 with a four iron? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the coolest golf accomplishment of my life. Like, and so that hopefully helps people understand that I'm not that good of a golfer. I don't, I haven't like won a lot of tournaments, so that was pretty awesome. It, it is amazing when you break eight. That's like a, the barometer for me. Did I play good? All right. It's an 82, 83. Did I play great? I shot a 79. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the cutoff for me. Uh, if you could interview one current player, not named tiger, who would it be and why? I would want to talk with Rory. I yeah. think that he is, he's just really interesting and thoughtful with his answers. I think, you know, in your experience interviewing people in any sport, and I've interviewed quite a few people in the golf business. I always liked people who gave thoughtful answers that almost elicited another question based on what they're saying, kind of like a, 
what do you mean by that? Or tell me more about that just because you're interested. So I just feel like Rory, his comments about a wide range of topics, whether it be equipment or the LIV tour or what it would mean to win more majors or the impact that Tiger has on the game, whatever the topic is, I, feel, I always feel like he gives a thoughtful answer to it. What about I, I you? think he has become a uh, Rory's hundred percent. I mean, you know, I got a love affair with Rory. I might get a Rory tattoo. He, he is not only rapidly become my favorite guy on the PGA tour. He might be one of my favorite athletes in all of sports right now. Wow. I just, I love how thoughtful he is. I love how he has become kind of in the absence of tiger the last couple of years through the car accident, right. And him not being on the scene and Phil going through all the stuff that he has gone through. He's become the face of the PGA tour. And at the same time as he's thoughtful and he's considerate and all that stuff, seems like a great guy. He's also carrying this burden that he hasn't won a major championship in a long time. And he was the next golf prodigy that burst onto the scene and won what four majors in like three years. And everybody thought was going to dominate the sport and he hasn't won one since. And so yeah. I think all those storylines coming together, I just, I love Rory and I having the chance to sit down with him would be incredible. Um, if you could design one golf hole, what would it be? You mean like take credit for, I designed that hole. I think no, like you're designing a golf. I, I'm, I just bought the land to build a golf course and I'm, I'm putting Eric Peterson in charge of building the third hole on my golf course. Oh, what okay. are you, what are you designing? Oh, interesting. I would do a risk reward short par four. <laughs> I remember talking with Tom Doak about uh, Pacific dunes or something like, I, I forget where, what we were talking about on, on that day, but I asked him where Augusta national ranks in his list of the best courses. And he said, not, not as high as you might think it would. And I said, why? And his immediate response was that it doesn't have a drivable par four and his, by his criteria, you have to have a drivable par four to be a fantastic course. And it got me thinking about like some of the courses that I love. One of my favorite holes at some of those courses is like a drivable par four or maybe not drivable, but like risk reward where you could hit where you could hit five iron or driver, just something with a lot of flexibility. That's what I would want to do. I think holes where there's flexibility to, to play it different ways on a given day, but then also have it be set up differently um, on different days and for different skill levels. I just think that would be fun when there's a lot of flexibility. Yeah. The, the creativity of, of different uh, strategies of playing a hole. I, I love getting people thinking that's, that's a unique aspect of golf that I'm trying to develop as I get older is thinking my way, not just grabbing a club and all right, I'm yeah. 140 yards out. Let's hit a pitching wedge, like thinking my way around a golf course. And yeah. where do I want to go? Where do I want to miss? Where's my good spot to lay up here? All those things that come into mind, drivable par fours are the absolute best for that. So I, I would go that route as well. We should do um, a little segment sometime on the best short par fours in Portland. 17 ooh. at Ghost Creek comes to mind. You know, that's yep. a really cool hole. And I feel like I still can't decide if, if I should be hitting driver or five iron there because I <laughs> go back and forth and make bogey most of the time, no matter what club I hit. One of the most, uh, I, I think it was Wildwood. Is Wildwood the course out kind of by uh, Scapoos area? Yeah. So they have a hole on the front nine there that's a drivable par four. And it's one of the most incredible golf shots I ever, I almost aced it with a yep. drive. I was like, screw it. I bogeyed the first couple of holes. I'm like, I'm going for it. And I heard the group on the par, downhill par three, the next hole scream. Cause I hit, I landed it on the green. It ran past the hole up the hill and then turned around and came back because it's a steep slope. And I almost hit it on the way up and on the way back. Oh, my gosh. And they screamed. I'm like, what happened? I got up there, and they were standing on the tee box like, dude, that almost went in twice. And I'm freaking out. Drivable par fours are the absolute best. That's a great segment idea. So send us your best drivable par fours in the Portland area uh, at Grip City Golf. Uh, let's see here. If given the option, would you add 50 yards to your average drive distance or reduce your current driver spray by 15 yards. Oh, definitely, definitely the latter. Uh, like I wish that I didn't spray it. I spray it so bad with my driver sometimes that I just don't even bring it with me. So I don't, I don't have any issues with hitting it 50 yards less. That is a good question. I mean, maybe there's some people out there that are short and straight that would love to be able to hit it 50 yards farther. But I, for me personally, I for sure this the spray zone. That's my that's my nemesis. Yeah, you got to keep it in the fairway, man. It's funny how tough it can be for people 
to hit that club of all the clubs in the bag. It seems like that one gives people the most problems. I, it's got I, the biggest club face on it. You, it does all this technology man. that goes into helping you hit it good. And I just can't <laughs> hit it good. It doesn't work. All right. Open championship starts tonight. Everybody stay up overnight and watch. Uh, wh- what is your pick? Let's close on this. Your pick to win the open championship is Tiger Woods. Let's go, baby. Let's go. All right, I'm going Rory. I pick Rory to win every major, and I'm going to keep picking him until he wins one. He's bound to do it eventually. (laughs) There you go. Open championship starts tonight. Enjoy it, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Another episode of the Grip City Golf Podcast, uh, here and gone, episode 11. Don't forget, keep an eye on the listener round coming up. I promise it's going to happen. we got to figure out. Eric's got kids. I don't have kids. i got nothing to do. Eric's got kids. He's got responsibilities. He has a real job. I don't have a real job. So eventually we'll find a target date. We'll get out and play with you guys. We're looking forward to it. So keep an eye for that tweet. Give us a follow on Twitter at Grip City Golf. EP, uh, until next time, go low, buddy, okay? Sounds good, buddy. There you go. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the Grip City Golf Podcast. I hit it hard, man. Hard.